And again, take your Bibles. Turn with me to John 10. We'll pick up where we left off last week after just a wee bit of rehearsal of what we've covered so far. John chapter 10, God's inerrant, infallible word for his people. Follow along as I read out loud. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door. I'm sorry, I I got carried away. I wanted to go back to verse 1. It's verse 22 is where I want to start. So that's where we're going to move to real quickly. with With the same emphasis because the Lord is not through even though the time has changed. He's about to tell them the very same thing again that he's just told them in verses 1 through 21. Then in verse 22, we read this. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was a winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not part of my flock. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It's not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy. Because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law? I said you were gods. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken... Do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said, I am the Son of God? If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. He went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him, and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true, and many 
believed in him there. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures always. Father, thank you for your wonderful word. And now we pray that you'd speak loudly to us because we're hard of hearing. Speak clearly because we're so deluded by sin that we don't always hear the clear truth. Change our hearts. Send us out of here more like Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Well, let me start earlier than verse 22. As I showed you two weeks ago, this passage is in the setting of a a man-made feast, the Feast of Dedication. It's printed on your, your calendars now as Hanukkah. It was the Feast of Dedication. It was uh, back into the Maccabean period, which is that 400-year period between the the closing of the Old Covenant canon and the New Covenant canon being initiated with the coming of Christ. But the Lord Jesus Christ, even though this is a few months later than verses 1 through 21, uh, he's still on the same theme. At least he brings the same theme up again when he says, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. That's what he talked about in those first 21 verses. He was the good shepherd. And now he's going to show us that the good shepherd is none other than the good Lord. He is God. And yet that's what the problem's all about here with these religious leaders. That's what they accuse him of teaching, that he's God. That's why they accuse him of blasphemy. But let's remember a larger picture here in John, because it's easy sometimes to to lose the forest for the trees. Uh, John has a purpose in mind for writing this good news. That's what the gospel is. It's good news. And he has a purpose And we rehearsed that in the very first sermon. I bring it back up to us occasionally. And uh, this is what he says the point of the whole book is about. We find it in chapter 20. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written. And then he gives us the purpose clause. So that... You may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. That's the whole point of the whole 21 chapters, is that we might believe. Now I want you to notice something else. Nothing to this point, and you will find nothing like this from this point to the end of the book. It's about believing. It's about salvation. It's about faith in Christ. And yet, this whole book is about Jesus. There's no real cute evangelistic twist taking place in this book. No 
No invitation down the aisle. No sign up for Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Because here's the thing. If you're going to believe in Jesus, then you have to believe in the right Jesus. And John is all about telling us who Jesus is. And John has this strange idea, writing, of course, under the, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. He's one of the holy men that Peter speaks of. One of those holy men guided by the Spirit into all truth. So that we know that this book is dependable because it comes from God himself. John had this strange notion that the only way someone can come to saving faith is just to hear about who Jesus is and what he did. And if you hear who Jesus is and what he did, then that's the basis for a saving faith. Nothing anthropocentric, as we say, about this book of John. That's just a big, that's your, that's your big old word, children, for the week. Anthropocentric. That's contrasted by theocentric. We are God-centered people. We're not to be man-centered people. But here's the problem. In the fall came anthropocentrism. So now you got two big words. In other words, sin makes us selfish. Sin makes us centered on ourselves. John would have us centered on Jesus. And so he keeps telling us over and over. And let's just back up. It's good to back up. John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. Without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Now see, these very same Jewish leaders that are accusing Jesus of blasphemy would have said only God is the source of life. Only God created. Only God sustains all life. And from the very beginning, John, John picks at that. He knows what they say they believe about God. And over and over, he, he attributes those very things to the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And they're struggling with it. They're struggling with it. Jesus has just told them, we saw this last time, Jesus says, the works that I do in my Father's name, this is verse 25, bear witness about me, but you do not believe. Why? Now, this is the cold, hard truth, y'all. This is Jesus saying this. This is not my theology. You do not believe because you're not part of my flock. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. They follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. 
They don't believe because they're not my people. My people believe me. They hear my voice and believe. You've got two people in this world, those who are of the flock and those who aren't of the flock. And notice, being in or out of the flock precedes the believing process here. Did you notice that? Jesus is very clear on that. They believe because they're part of the flock. They don't believe because they're not part of the flock. It doesn't say they believed and so they're in the flock or they didn't believe so they're out of the flock. Now some of y'all are obviously confused and missing the nuance of that. But you ought not to be. Those of the flock believe. It's the same thing that Luke says in Acts chapter 13 verse 48. As many as were appointed to eternal life believed. It does not say those who believed were appointed to eternal life. The beauty of this is that you and I, if we're looking at this, And we say, you know, the purpose of John is to show Jesus in all of his beauty and all of his splendor and all of his deity. And I believe that. Well, guess what? You can rejoice, not because you believe, but because that says you were in the flock. You're one of his sheep. That's why you heard the voice and you followed. That's why you believed when you heard of Jesus. That's a humbling thing. You mean it wasn't about me? It wasn't about me being able to believe versus she or he not being able to believe? That's right. It was about you being a member of the flock. And that gets back to the whole issue of Jesus. What Paul Paul the apostle tells us in Ephesians 1 that we've been chosen from before the foundation of the world. You say, oh, that seems cold and harsh. Don't say that. Ephesians 1 says that you were adopted as sons from before the foundation of the world. Is adoption a cold and harsh thing? We have adopted children sitting here this morning, and I don't think any of them would say that it was a mean and hard and arbitrary thing that their parents did to pick them out and adopt them. But it was a loving thing. It was a caring thing. It was a generous thing. And that's what God is. He's a loving, generous, loving father who chose us out of a mass of sin. So this book's all about that. It's all about that. It's about the good news. Faith in Jesus Christ. And John just keeps hammering us with Jesus and who Jesus is. And it's wonderful too because all these illustrations of all the different objections and questions and this book answers them. Because these Jews had all the questions. They had all the objections to he can't be God and Jesus answers it. Here's the basic answer. If I'm not God... How do I do all these things? And you notice how silly they are? Oh, we're not mad about you doing all these great things. We like all the stuff you're doing. 
We just don't like you claiming to be God. And Jesus even says, well, but only God can do these things. And they say, well, yeah, we got that, but you're not him. So Jesus comes back in and says, so then how did I do this exactly? You say, so what are we supposed to take away from that? That is, we're supposed to take this away from that. By the way, children, near and far demonstratives can get real confusing. That's the reason you don't do that. Because finding out what the, the antecedent to this and that is can be very difficult, just as I just proved by using this and that so much. So what's the point? Here's the point. If you're not trusting Jesus Christ and you're not marveling at all the wonderful works that he's doing and has done in the past, then you need to pray the prayer that the publican prayed in Luke chapter 18, Lord, be merciful to me. Don't let your pride stand in the way of salvation. Confess to the Lord that you're proud and that you have nothing and you can not save yourself. Don't be like the Jewish scribes and Pharisees who stood in the temple and looked up to heaven and said, I'm so thankful I'm not like all those sinners out there. And God said, that man got his... His rewards right there. But the man who acknowledged that he was in need and called upon God to save him went to his house justified. So if you want to go to your house justified, that is, if you want to go to your home in right standing with God, then we simply pray, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. By the way, you don't get saved over and over again because it's not something you got to start with. It's something he did for you and for me. But we do acknowledge over and over that he's our savior. And we do pray over and over, be merciful to me. Be merciful to me. So let's look at this passage very briefly now with that long rehearsal of what we've done already up to this point. Two weeks ago, we looked at verses 22 through 30, and we considered the deity of Christ and how he answered it. And how he ultimately answered it was right there in verse 30, I and the Father are one. I showed you then that's not a conclusive statement of the Trinitarian relationship God the Father and God the Son, but it is conclusive statement of the unity of the Father and the Son. Jesus said it in the pre preceding verses, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. That's verse 28. And then immediately Jesus said, my father who has given them to me 
greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Now, any rational person that's not hell-bent on refusing to understand the natural meaning of words would read those two verses and say, wait a minute, Jesus holds them in his hands. No one can snatch them out of his hands. He's all-powerful. He's able to keep them. And the, but the, then he says the Father is the one who holds them, and no one's able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Which is it? And the answer is yes. And then Jesus summarizes, I and the Father, the Father and I are one. We're unified. We're, the work that he sent me to do, that I do, is his work. My work is his work. His work is my work. We're a unity. God the Father, God the Son. That's how he answered their denial of his deity. Now, the last two points move much quicker. Verses 31 through 39, we see man's depravity just unfolded in despicable ways. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. And then, verse 39, again they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. Now, you just sit and think about that for a moment. If you haven't already... Here is the Lord God Almighty. As our confession of faith says, voluntarily condescended to come and take on flesh that he might live a life for us that we can't live. To keep the law perfectly, which is commanded of us, but we can't do. Only the God-man could do it, and he came willingly and did it. He suffered on a cross for our sins, the penalty of our sins, to be taken away. Something that had we suffered on a cross, we would have simply died and be done with. But he suffered on a cross, was buried, and on the third day he rose again that we might also rise and have life. Life not only in this time, in this world, abundantly as Jesus has already taught us, but in the life hereafter. He came and we have seen him all the way through. He changed the water into wine he walked on water. He gave them plenty of food to eat out of little or nothing. He caused a lame man to walk. He made a blind man to see. And he has just declared that he is God, the good shepherd. Referring them back to Ezekiel chapter 34. Where God said, the shepherds are not taking care of the sheep. I will just come and do it myself. And Jesus said, I am that good shepherd. I am God in the flesh. And what did they say in return to all of that? 
they picked up stones to stone him. And notice it's not the first time. They picked up stones again to stone him. Now, lest we be too hard on these Pharisees and Jews, we have to examine our own hearts, don't we? How often do we read God's word and question it? And we let something else dictate how we're going to understand it instead of God's word. We let philosophy, we let science, we let psychology. When God says that something is a sin, we make it an ism. God says it's, it's, it's an abomination and we call it a lifestyle. How is that any different than picking up stones? Both of them are unbelief, y'all. Both of them are denying what God has said and done. This passage is all about that. And notice how Jesus answers them. I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? He puts them on the spot. The Jews said, oh, it's not for good works we're going to stone you, but for blasphemy because you, being a man, make yourself God. Again, all these things he's done, only God could do. The Jews said it's not for a good work. It's because you're blaspheming claim to be God. Jesus said again, is it not written in your law? Now Jesus does an interesting little twist here. And he calls him back to the Psalm, Psalm 82. He refers to it as the law. Is it not written in your law? I said you were gods. If he calls them gods to whom the word of God came. And then you've got this little, and the translations, if you looked in your Bible, some put them in the you know, M dashes on each side. Some will put it in parenthesis. Some mark it out with, with comma marks. But it says, and scripture cannot be broken. Basically what Jesus is doing here is saying, y'all break the scriptures. You don't really believe them. Doesn't Psalm 82 say God speaking to men and he called them God's? I said, you're God's. Now we go back to Psalm 82. You don't have to turn back there. I'm going to real quickly. God taking his place in the divine council in the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. And then he addresses them. Now some people have taken these gods to be the, the, the angels, but that doesn't work with the rest of the chapter. Because he's addressing men and their relationship to other men. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? 
Give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, this is God picking up again. I said, you are God, sons of the Most High, all of you. Nevertheless, like men, you shall die and fall like any prince. Classically, this has been understood not as a band of angels to whom God's making an address, but the leaders, the rulers of the earth. And he's saying, you rulers of the earth, you're abusing your power. You're not exercising it. Romans chapter 13 tells us that the civil magistrates, the rulers of the world, are, are put in their place to do good for people. Right? And here in Psalm 82, he says, you're put there to do good and you're not. You're abusing your power. I've put you there as gods over these people. You say, but God doesn't call us gods. Oh, yeah, he does. Just go back and read about Moses and Aaron. And the relationship that they were to have with Pharaoh in Egypt. And God says, Moses will be like God to Egypt. And Aaron will be his, his prophet. Now, was Moses God? No, but he was like God. He was a ruler speaking to the people of Egypt and the, his people in Egypt. He came with the divine authority because he was speaking God's words. God said, Moses, go tell him this. He's not going to do it, talking to Pharaoh. Go tell him to do this. He won't do it, but do it anyway. And again, go tell him to do this. So Moses would go and he would speak God's words after God. That's what's going on there. That's the reason God could say, Moses, you'll be like God to them. Because he was speaking their words. So Jesus now says, look. If God refers to mere mortals as gods, what would be wrong with me? Now, let's go back to the text. What would be wrong with me if he called them, emphasized them gods to whom the word of God came? Do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you're blaspheming because I said I'm the son of God? He's saying, look, if, if God calls mere men gods because they exercise authority over other men, What would be wrong with me claiming to be the son of God when God the Father appointed me for this role and sent me down to do his holy will? I'm no mere man. I came from heaven down here. Why should I not be God? Why should I not be called God? Why can I not refer to myself as the son of God? See, it's, a, it's an argument from the lesser to the greater. 
if mere men can be gods, surely I, coming from heaven, from God the Father, am God. And these men are just quiet at this point. Did you notice? And then Jesus immediately goes back. If I'm not doing the works of my father, then do not believe me. Isn't it amazing? I get tickled at atheists. They love to rail on Christians and God. But if God doesn't exist... Why bother? You should just pity us Christians. You shouldn't hate us and write, well, you write books because you can make money. But that's an aside. If God doesn't exist, why spend all your life fighting him? Jesus is saying, if If I'm doing all these things and only God can do these things, why are you bothered with me? What bothers you about me? Don't just don't believe me. But if I do them now, here's the point, though. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the father is in me. Here he goes again. The father is in me and I am in the father. And now they scream again, arrest him. Now here's the question. Do you believe? That's really the whole point here. Bringing us to this, do you believe? Or is your depravity so ingrained Is your depravity so deep and dark that you're like these Jews? These Jewish leaders, they see him doing the work. Remember what Paul says in Romans 1. People see the great works of God. They see his power exhibited and they have no excuse when they say there is no God. They're guilty. By the very admission that they recognize all this greatness around them. The fact that they take up in their hands to work with all of God's wonderful creation condemns them. Jesus is saying virtually the same thing. You see what I'm doing. You don't believe it. You don't even believe the works. And then he moves. And that's the last point, and we're done. Then he moves. He goes away across the Jordan to where John was, had been baptizing. Remember John? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. There's one coming after me. His sandals, I'm not even fit to, 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 to deal with the, the latches on them. There's one after me. I baptize you with water, but he's going to baptize you with with spirit, with fire. And Jesus goes back over there. And many came to him and they said, John did no sign. 
In other words, John didn't do any of those great works that we've been seeing Jesus do. John did no sign. But everything that John said about this man was true. And look at the difference in the response. They didn't pick up stones to stone Jesus. They didn't seek to arrest him or have him arrested. They believed him. So, again, the question is that where you are. Are you among the many who believed in him? Because he's done all these great things that we've been reading about in John. And we're going to read about even more. This is the turning point. These verses, 40 through 42, is a hinge. And we're moving now into the final phase, the last epoch of Jesus' earthly life. But up until now, everything that's been done has been with the purpose of showing that Jesus Christ is God. And there's two alternatives. You believe him or you don't believe him. You go to hell or you go to heaven. You have an unholy life or you have a holy life. There's only two ways. There's only two options. And the question for us is, what do you believe? What do you believe? And do you believe God? When he says, this is my son, my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Father, thank you. We ask now that you bless this time, brief as it is, in your word as we go out, that we'd read and reread these verses and we'd believe that only God can do all these great works. And in believing, we might have life and have it abundant. Indeed, the good shepherd is the good Lord. And may he rule and reign over our hearts now and forever. For the glory of your great name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray this in his name. Amen.